0: This is the Investor Frame Podcast with me, Paul Sparks. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Investor Frame Podcast. I'm here with one of my good friends, Chad Young. He's uh, He and I got to know each other through the Collective Genius Mastermind. He's a member of the Whale Club and uh, doing some cool stuff with us there, but uh Chad let me let me quickly uh introduce you i know you have a really interesting business you uh you live in Quarter lane but you do all your business out of spokane which is just mm-hmm. right across the border there um and what i love most about your story is that you built your business off of relationships you did what 90 deals or so last year which is not a small feat for a you know an operation of your size um so I'm just I'm I'm really excited to have you come in and share your story about how you're using real estate and and using your business to actually help you get closer to the things that you want. So, uh, welcome in, Chad. It's great to have you.
1: Yeah, cool, man. And we did uh, we'll do just shy of 90 this year. We did 40 last year. So, but I mean, relationships have allowed us to double every year we've been in business. So,
0: go to four from 40 to 90 is a testament to uh, you know to your ability to run and operate that business. Tell me a little bit about your business right now. What does the size look like? Like, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the, uh, yeah, just the size of your business.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you talk about like going from 40 to 90, because as myself, I could do about 40 deals a year. It's just like three a month for the most part. Um, And it's funny, you think like, oh, I can do three a month by myself. Like I can hire one more person. And we can do six a month and like, mm-hmm. no, we have a team of like, I think seven people now to do six a month. Well, we're doing way more than six a month, but it's, uh, yeah. So we current team sizes, we, um, we just brought on a project manager last week, which thank God, cause that was the Achilles heel of our, of our company hands down. But we've got, they're all in-house except for one virtual assistant in the Philippines. Um, but we've got a full-time dispo guy, which is interesting cause he's the, only full-time dispo guy in our entire area. So we've been able to what really is his name? Out.
0: Because he's always doing the flamingo stuff that I see him <laughs> on. <laughs> What's AJ she- AJ Sheffield? Oh man, I love AJ. Yeah. I feel like I know yeah. him from from Denver. I've never met the guy, but I, yeah. I love all his stuff.
1: No, he's a cool dude. He's like the life of the party and he's uh if you look at like um predictive index profiles, he's a collaborator and his like social is like off the charts and like, he just loves being with people. But, um, yeah, so we've got a full-time dispo guy. we have got myself that kind of, you know, visionary marketing finance, stuff like that. And then we've got an acquisitions guy, project manager, a lead manager, transaction coordinator. Um, I think that is it. So we are going to be hiring another lead manager here in the pretty much immediate future. So, but
0: that's pretty it. much it. It's yeah, a small team, you know, it's not that big of a team yeah. to do that kind of volume is, is impressive. Um, And I, I want to back up for a second because I sort of skipped over this, but tell me a little bit about your background. I know you came from you know a military background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go? What was that journey of getting into real estate like?
1: Yeah. So I was a prior army reservist um, for about six and a half years. And during that time i also my wife and i had started a janitorial company literally because i wanted to have money to invest in real estate before i really like i was thinking traditional route you know you read rich dad poor dad and you're like oh i just gotta start stacking rentals and they go up in value then you pull money out of them buy more and they go up and it's just, it's just spider web it doesn't work like that <laughs> not if you want to scale and do it fast and not have a lot of your own money into it um and we had this really really cool life turning event about three and a half years ago we had our first son Um, and I just got really, really serious about it at that time that I wanted to learn everything I could about, um, flipping houses. I wanted, because we had built a successful janitorial company at that time, we had systems in place, processes in place, management in place. I was working like an hour a week and we were making six figures. Like we were doing really well with very little effort. Um, but when you're in positions like that, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, like you're one key employee away from leaving from having to jump back into the thick of things. And uh, janitorial work is all at night. And so knowing that if our manager left, I would be spending my nights quality control checking accounts, filling in for employees. I was like, this really does not sound fun. And so started, I literally remember reading the book, the book on flipping houses in the hospital when we were having our first kid. Um, and I just like 40, I had 40 hours a week to spend because I only worked like an hour a week in our janitorial company i had one meeting every single week with our manager and that was pretty much it Mm. and so i just devoted myself full time to learning everything i could about real estate um it ended up the process was way quicker than i thought it would go it's a not fast enough for me but it probably not for any entrepreneur we always want those faster we're always in a Mm. trap of comparing ourselves to these hyper growth real estate guys they're influencers now that we see um but it was great, man. So that was 2019. I wrote tens of thousands of yellow letters and sent them all to bad data lists. We, I mean, we like, <laughs> dude, if you could do it, like it really, really bad from the beginning, I did it. So yeah. it took like nine months to get our first deal. Um, uh, so marketed hard for like nine months, spent like 25, 30 grand in marketing to bad lists. And then did a small texting campaign, got our first deal. And it was like a $50,000 wholesale. We like the house cleaned it out, did basically nothing. We made 50 grand in like a month, Woo! and it was awesome. And I was like, Wow, <laughs> man, I had like 13 employees doing Jan- with the Jan oil company. And like, I literally, when somebody called out, I was cleaning toilets like, to yeah. make money. And uh, I was like, Man, if I just did two of these a year, like that's all I need to do to replace that income,
0: seriously.
1: And so I was like, All right, I'm sold on this. And so we started, uh, we just started trying to repeat the process. And that first year, we did. Twelve deals. Next year we did forty. This year we'll do eighty-ish. I mean, we just got a package of thirteen units that we're supposed to close on. Like, I don't know, maybe by the end of the year. So that'll really up our numbers. But
0: that's great, man. Yeah, and I love that story because um, that's how a lot of people. First of all, I like the the fact that you said um, they we we are sold this idea that oh, if you just collect a bunch of rental properties. Then you can leverage those to buy the next one. That sells books really well. Yeah. In practice, it's not quite that simple. Um, so what we end up doing is we end up getting into the business of investing, launching an investing business, which is very different than being just a strictly just an investor. Right. Yeah. Um there's all sorts of systems and processes and you know, growth. that's uh, and and then of course you mentioned this comparison trap, which I have fallen prey to more times than I would care to admit, especially when you uh, are around people who are doing the types of deals that you do or that you're wanting to do. You know, I heard, uh, uh, one of my, one of the uh, partners in the whale club said something the other day about how, you know, six figure businesses, they will have, they will have these months, right. Where they make a hundred grand in a month, let's say. And they say to themselves at this run rate, I'm a, I could be a seven figure business. This is, and then what they do is they say, I'm a seven figure business owner. Right. And they associate this with, with this identity. And now they're spending as if they are a seven figure business owner. Yeah. But they don't really have the systems and the processes to account for that. That's exactly what happened to me. It sounds like you avoided that trap. Right. You 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 avoided it by building it slowly. I mean, going from 12 to 40 to 90, in my mind, is indicative of your strength in building out the correct systems and processes. Hmm. So I know you call yourself a visionary, but I would say that's uh, that's indication of your ability to operate at a really high level. Um, Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the evolution of building out these processes, figuring out what to keep you know if there's one thing i've learned is that what what it takes to get you to 12 deals is is not going to get you to 40 deals mm-hmm. what gets you to 40 deals is not going to get you to 120 deals every time your business kind of levels up like that you need different systems different processes the machine breaks how did yeah. you deal with that
1: we man it's yeah and you're 100% right like at each level what got you here won't get you there. You face new challenges and new, um, and you almost get to the point too where you're playing with higher stakes. Like when you've got, um, you know, when the market came down, we ha- we didn't have three, four houses on our books. We had 20. That's much bigger problems to solve at that, um, at that juncture. But when you have good systems in place, like the cool thing, um, one of the vendors in Collective Genius Sharper process, we actually just brought them in to do consulting for us. But even prior to that, I had listened to a bunch of their coaching calls and stuff, and they talked about process mapping. And so I am extremely, I don't know, lazy is probably not the best word, but I hate doing something twice. Like, everything has to be trainable. I tell our employees all the time, like, if you walk out and get hit by a bus tomorrow, I need to be able to plug somebody into your seat, and they need to know how to do every single thing that you do down in detail. And so we we process map everything. And you start, it's, this, it's the reason that you can go to one of Starbucks 18,000 locations and you get the exact same vanilla latte at any single location. And so what we do is we just built a process map. Every single thing that we did, you just write down every single step that you took. And we actually build like a flow chart, like a a pure process map. And then each one of those boxes that has a step in the process is spelled out in detail in a procedure. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that is when you go from 40 houses to 80, hundred, 150, the the machine breaks like i told my guy today he locked up 13 units and i'm like man we have like millions of dollars in funding we need to get in like the next you know couple of days i was like let's see what parts break in the system because we're overloading the system right now and so all you do is you go up the chain in the process mapping and say at what point in the process did it break and then you implement you just change the procedure for it and so it's and you you start to find that as you grow, you were selling houses at first, then you're leading people, then you're training people to lead people. And it's, it's just completely different. I wish it was the same problems we were always solving, but at the same time, we need that continual evolution. Like we need to continually, if we're going to give people a person that they can um, follow, you need to be a good leader. And like that oh, just, man. it's, it's, a, I wish, <laughs> I wish you could just be born a good leader, but it's a continual progress in education. Like it's, it just doesn't stop. And you're like, Oh yeah. Once I get like these couple things down in leadership, it's going to be just sick. And I'll have my people like squared away and they'll know that they're in a, all rowing in the same direction and like all aspiring for the same thing. We're all talking the same language and stuff. And then you get to that point. It's like, well, crap, now I got to be the next level. Cause they expect to go to the next level. And, um, and you owe it to them. Like you, you have to do that for the people that you, you lead.
0: So. You're describing my evolution right now. I mean, and I think that's, <clears throat> that is the journey of being an entrepreneur is actually being a leader. Um, man. Yeah. It's, and it's, it is a fun challenge that I'm welcoming. It sounds like you are as well. Uh, but let me ask you this question because, you know, you, you've, you've heard me talk about the concepts of, of barbells, right? Oh, yeah. And on, on one side we want to have reliability and the other side, we want to have asymmetry to the upside. We want to take bets that have really high upside. Mm-hmm. but really low downside. Um, and you are in the process right now of continuing to grow your business. So where does this real estate business fit for you? Are you are you increasing the upside or are you working to make it more and more reliable?
1: That's a good question. I think we're continually looking at increasing the upside. And you reliability also comes with that. I mean, you can't You can't get to a point where you can increase, let's say, profitability or the upside until you have consistency and reliability. Like, you know, you have to build the foundation that you build upon. And so like, as we, a, a good example of this is as we've built reliability with lead flow and a reputation in the area, we're starting to increase upside in land development. And so things that are naturally coming through our funnel that, and it's like that, Toyota Tacoma syndrome or whatever, like, you never see these until you want to go buy one and you see them everywhere. We never did land deals until I realized, like, the potential that's there for it. Um, I don't even know how many of these we missed that came through our funnel. And now that we just know some of the potential for land, it's like, wow, we're having, like, you know, a land deal a month come through our funnel. We just had a wholesaler bring us something a week ago and we got under contract we're going to be able to build a 20-unit apartment complex on it like i would have never even looked at those things till i knew what the potential is and now they're everywhere and so that's increasing i mean you can if you do one deal that makes a million bucks that just made up for the last 80 single family homes <laughs> you know, wholesale their flips so
0: yeah i mean one of the things that we talk a lot about is that there's a reason why some people seem to get lucky over and over and over again and it's not by luck it's because they've engineered a system where they get lucky over and over and over again and 100%. so what it seems like you're you do really well is you build reliability first and then you are exposing yourself to opportunities where you could get lucky right because you mm-hmm. have and it's the next thing i want to kind of touch on is your your business is centered around relationships. But when you can build this highly reliable business first, instead of focusing on like before you have reliability, you're chasing around, ooh, let's do land. Ooh, let's do multifamily. Ooh, let's go to a new market. Let's try a new marketing source. It's Mm kind of like, but do you have reliability in your business already? Because otherwise it's like we say we're scaling chaos. Mm. So I think it's this ping pong back and forth between, you're building reliability into the system. And because of that, it's producing opportunities for asymmetry to the upside, right? You're getting lucky 100%. with these because you have such a reliable business. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. you've read uh
1: probably Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference.
0: Oh, yeah. It's my yes. Bible. <laughs> such a good book, dude. Such yeah. a good book.
1: He's got a quote in there at, at like the end of the book. It's I don't, it's like not even the main book. It's just like some of his notes on the chapters or something at the end. And he said something in there. He said that when the pressure is on, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your highest level of preparation. Mm. And it, I mean, it's the same thing Navy SEALs you like. They they don't freak out when the pressure's on and they don't like, they're not all of a sudden Captain America. They just go back to their training. And it's the same yeah. thing you're talking about with lucky people consistently getting lucky when you've trained yourself enough and just by God's grace to like know what a deal is or even what it smells like a deal. All of a sudden, when somebody brings you one, you're like, Oh, let's take a look at this. Like, let's, Yeah. And it, like I said, these are things I just passed up before.
0: Cause I didn't know what they were. Well, and, and, a, and the trap of an entrepreneur, the comparison trap that we talked about before is we see all these people who are doing, uh, running businesses. And, you know, we get this comparison, uh, trap, right? Like you're saying, and, Another way to say this is instead of focusing on raising the ceiling, we want to we want to raise the floor, right? We <laughs> want to slowly raise that floor higher and higher and higher. Um, and you do that really well. Let's let me let me hear more about the relationship aspect of your business because the first time that you and I met was I don't know maybe January, and I heard you give your presentation at Collective Genius, which you won the belt for. Uh, and the, t- and the topic of this was around giftology. Do you mind explaining that and how that sort of fits into your business?
1: Yeah, totally. So like, as you can probably tell them, like I have kind of a, an obsession with systems, processes, things that don't allow things to slip through the cracks, things that allow people to step in and immediately pick up that role. Um, and so we, And also one of our core values in our business is generosity. Like we, I just firmly believe that like, this is a gift I have been given and I need to steward it. And one of the best ways you can make people feel valued is by giving them a gift. Um, Some of the things that are most important to people were not things they paid for. It was gifts, you know, your health, your children, um, experiences in life, things like that, lessons learned. And so what we did is we just, um, In our business, we literally just created a spreadsheet and it was like, let's put people in different buckets. Like these people we do business with a lot. Let's call it the the hot bucket. These people um, we might do business with. These people, we just want to let them know that we care about them. Like we're always on their radar. And we literally systematize gift giving. Um, It could be anything from we cater an office's lunch once a quarter, something like that for a title company or things like that. Um, all the way down to like, when we get sellers, um, we get them very, very unique gifts to their life, to their situation, to things they care about. Um, so anybody that we buy their house, like we get them a really nice gift. And I'm not talking like a, um, you know, swag or hat with our logo on it and things like that. It's something that's like their family crest or their family name, like woven in a blanket or carved in a really nice piece of wood or, um, We've gotten like, we just had a family that I think they had like 11 kids or something and we bought their house and we got them a custom made like coat rack that had their Mm -hmm. family name on it and 11 hooks. Like it's stuff that's custom to them that hopefully they're not going to throw out and it can always remind them of like a good, a good transaction, a good relationship that we had with them. So it's It's just important to us, man. I tell our, our employees all the time, like I, it's a fill in the blank. I say this business is blank if nothing else. And the answer is relational. You do not have to spend money to make money. It helps. It really, really helps. I know guys that do millions every year just through relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One of the ones that really stuck out to me, and in fact, we we took that and took it back and implemented in our business, was um, you had had a scenario where, I believe the mother passed away and the kids inherited the house. And yeah. you got them a wind chime with their mom's name and, and, you know, in loving memory of of their mom. And I'm like, that's, that's stuck with me for the last year. Um, what an incredible thing, not only to do for that person, um, it's just, it's almost like the least we could do (laughs) in these types of scenarios. Um, and, and I love that shift as well from, don't go get them a, you know, an easy home buyer t-shirt or hat because mm-hmm. that's actually a gift for you. You're trying yeah. to get them to wear your gift, right? Yeah. So I've taken this back and, you know, I, there's a book, I forget the, the, the author's name, um, starts with the last name, starts with an R, I think. Um, but, you know, we do the engraved cutco knives, get people yeah. specific stuff. You know, I like to wear uh, hats. So we get people, in, you know, custom hats for their company different things yeah. like this. We did the wind chime and I just think it's incredible. My communication back to my team is the da- What's the downside of doing that? The downside is you make a friend, like that's it. You do something nice for somebody and you don't get some sort of massive value. That's it. So if, you know, but, but obviously you've benefited, your business has benefited tremendously from this type of, of gift giving and things like this. So talk to me about how you guys have benefited, not specifically from giftology, but from this approach to relationships and how does that contribute to your business now?
1: Yeah. And it honestly, it comes down to, and I'm sure you guys have them, but like a mission and a vision are, um, like our mission in our business, our mission statement, it's written on our wall and like, uh, metal, like it's unchangeable. <laughs> um, it's to value other people is more important than ourselves. And it's, we pull it from verse in the Bible, but it's literally having that servant's attitude towards other people. And we've just found that when we approach everything from a point of humility and from point of looking to help other people, whether there's anything in it for us or not, it just always comes full circle to us. Like there, you mentioned a great, a great um, example of like other people's companies, getting them stuff with it. We got, we changed property managers a while back. Um, We have like four different property management companies, but a new one we onboarded. We got them like a a doormat and they're hundreds of dollars. And it was with like their company's logo on it. And it sits in their office now. And like every time they walk in, they have like this nice, beautiful doormat with like their company's professionally designed logo on it. Mm -hmm. um, There's just so many things you can do like that. And it like you're saying, the the downside is you make a friend, you build your relationship with that person. The upside is one, you're changing this industry. Like A lot of people in this industry can get a bad rap for always wanting to be about profits and not people. You're trying to reverse that thinking. Um, and two, I mean, there's a potential that these people down the road might come to you and just be like, hey, I have this thing I want you to look at. Why don't you just give me your opinion? And it might be something you make million bucks on or 30 bucks on or you were just able to help them either way that gift that relationship allowed that to happen like we don't burn any bridges even if people really do us wrong in our community we just say Hey, appreciate what you did like it's probably just not gonna be a good fit going forward we just we don't burn any any relationships man we try and build them so
0: i love it man you're gonna do you're gonna do really well for a long time i think with that um I'm going to shift gears a little bit because I want to ask you about your experience um, in growing this business. One of the things that we talk about as part of the certainty operating system is that if you're going to do something new, um, let's first take time to go collect the data, right? Let's collect the data to see what we've got here. And as, as someone who's been growing their business quite a bit over the last two years, you've been doing a lot of new things, kind of wading into new territory, trying new land deals, trying different things like this. Um, So if we don't have a ton of data, which anytime you really try to do something new, I mean, you can look to other businesses for case studies and things like this, right? But Mm -hmm. if I spend this money to go after this new marketing plan, is it going to work? Yes or no? I don't know. Right? So In absence of that uh, data, what we do is we say we want to micro-step. We want to take small steps so that we can start getting some data and feedback before we just jump in on the deep end and go all in on something without really understanding whether it's going to work. Um, So how have you micro-stepped in your business? As you do an endeavor to do something new, what does that process look like for you? That's
1: a great question because I... I'm one of those personality types that has an extremely high risk tolerance. Um, and with that comes a lot of like, what they call it, shoot ready aim. Like you're just like, boom, okay, got it. And then you kind of pick up the pieces afterwards and figure it out what works. Um, and one of the things that I've always done, I can't remember who the heck said it, but somebody said a quote that uh, a wise man learns from his mistakes. A wiser man learns from others' mistakes. The wisest man of all learns from the success of someone else. And so any endeavor I've gone into, my micro steps to get there was making sure that I kind of had that guardian angel that was the guy I was paying or the team I was paying or the coach I was paying that has already been through the fire and can tell me what speed bumps to avoid and what holes not to fall into. Um, I've spent well over six figures on continuing education this year, whether, I mean, I've had three or four personal different coaches that didn't coach me in different aspects, Um, and you just same concept of what got you here. Won't get you there. I would have a coach for a while, realize the need of my company was, um, something different where they brought me to where I needed to be. And I need to go to the next level. So I seek the next coach. Um, some coaches have remained and I still have them. Um, but those are kind of the micro steps that I take as far as making sure somebody is watching my backside that has done it already. And then, there's kind of the obvious, with like marketing and things like that. You have just clear lines in the sand. I'm a very objective, data-driven person. And so it's like, if we put X amount in and we only pull X amount out, this dies. Yep. It's going somewhere else. If we put X amount in and we pull X amount out, let's try and get XXX X, X amount out. Like, let's tweak it. Let's pull levers. Let's shift our messaging. Let's shift when the clients are getting the message, things like that. And so you just got to have clear lines in the sand and track everything. Like there is... It, if you can't track it, you can't. what you measure, you can grow. If you don't measure it, you can't grow it. and it's going to hemorrhage money in the meantime in this business, at least. It's very expensive to market in what we do.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. that was that was a mistake that I made a lot of times is I what I heard you just say say just now is that you need to define beforehand what success looks like because mm-hmm. what the mistake I made was I'd be like, yeah, I. <laughs> I'm going to pay for marketing. We're going to pay for direct mail. And I'm I hope it gets me deals, right? But I didn't define if we don't get this much, you know, in leads or in whatever the metric is you're defining. If we don't get that, then we need to stop. The mistake that I made too too many times in, you know, building my business was I didn't define beforehand what it, what success looked like. So then when we get further down the road I'd be like, I mean, yeah, but we didn't get a deal, but we got a lot of really good conversations and let's try it again. Yeah. And you just you just keep throwing stuff on. And that yeah. was probably the biggest mistake I made in the first couple of years of my business, but you know, having that clear line in the sand to say if we don't get this, we're not moving forward.
1: Yeah. And the hard thing in our industry is the margins are so high that you can have a month where you make $200,000. Guess what? You, the only thing you're not thinking about in that month, what didn't perform? <laughs> you're not. If you have a, a six-figure month or multiple six-figures months, you're not going back and being like, okay, what didn't we make money on this month? Because you just feel great. You just feel like you conquered the world. And um, it's a blessing and a curse to have those high profit margins because they allow a lot of sloppiness. It's just like in an appreciated market, you can get away with a lot of stuff as long as the money's pouring in. But once the money stops pouring in, all of a sudden you're like, "Oh wow, how did I not see that for six months? This marketing channel brought us nothing, and we spent thirty thousand dollars on it." Like, those are the types of conversations that you start to have when markets shift or when things slow down. But market shift for us has been like the best thing that ever could have
0: happened, and so. Well, I want to hear more about that because the market has shifting. I mean, the, the amount of anxiety that I see in the industry right now is that, I mean, I haven't been in this business for that long, but like, yeah. it's as high as I've ever seen it. Um, yeah. people, people making rash decisions, people shutting down their businesses, but yeah. you know, the easy home buyer is cruising. So like, what is it? Is it the op- Is it the efficiency of your operating systems? Is it the strength of your relationships? You know, what's, what is it that makes, is making you guys so successful in this, you know, shifting market?
1: Yeah. And it comes back to what you said, defining success. Like I already shared with you our mission, um, our vision statement for the company that, and these are things that everybody like you talk about leadership, everybody on our team has these memorized, like these, they live and breathe them in our company. It's not like, Oh, it's up on the wall. Every company meeting, every single week, we recite these things together because they're so vitally important. That's why we're able to do what we're able to do now. Our vision statement for the company is to, um, be the most recognized brand in our industry to be recognized by the people that we help and the good that we accomplish. And what we did over the last two years is we kept that first and foremost and said, okay, how are we going to be the most widely recognized brand in our industry? And we, you know, through um, all all lenses that we looked at that through, that funneled to our relationships, to our marketing, to our structure, to where we put our office. I mean, it, it funnels down to everything. And what we basically did is, we had this vision to be positioned. Two and a half years ago, when I got into this, I was like, God, just let me learn how to flip like three to five homes so I know how to do it. So when the market comes down, I can just pick them all up and do that. Well, we did 100, well over 100 uh, in that time. And we, uh, we basically just wanted to be this massive net for when the market came down, people already knew who we were. We were established. We had authority. There's a de- can't remember who said it, but there's a difference between an expert and an authority. An expert is the person that knows the most about their industry. An authority is an expert everybody knows. And we just wanted to be the person that knew the most about it, but we wanted to be the person everybody knew, knew the most about it. And so we have been loud and proud on every platform we could think of the last two years, growing that network, building those relationships and um, people that needed to sell their house fast six months ago, like we were a vitamin to people like that. It's like insulin at this point. And I, that's a drastic um, use of words for that. But like, there are people that really, really need to sell their house fast because the market's coming down and they don't want to risk a greater loss in three months or six months or a year. And so they, I mean, recession's here, like, and you and I felt it five, six months ago, like when stuff started slowing down, we always feel way earlier in real estate because it's so intrinsically tied to people's money. They have home equity lines of credit. They have free money. The government's printing at 3% mortgage notes, things like that. Um, when that stuff tightens up six months later, people feel it and it sucks. And we know tons of people getting laid off right now and we're growing. I mean, it's just a huge blessing. Mm.
0: Yeah, it is. It's and I, it's a testament to the work you put in before now, right? It's like, you don't dig the well, when you need the water, you dig it before. And you guys yeah. did that. Um, and I, I, I love that you did that because I, I can see how you're going to be positioned to, to kind of ride this out and, and catch as the net as you, as you described. Um, last thing I want to touch on is the concept around solvable problem. So, you know, you came in to the Whale Club and we had a lot of conversations about solvable problem. Um, and the idea with this is really, oftentimes as real estate investors, we get distracted by the tool that we're using. You know, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to identify with I'm a flipper or I'm a wholesaler um, or, you know, and it's like all the residential guys want to be commercial guys and all the commercial guys want to be industrial guys and yada, yada, yada. So the point is, is there's this never ending loop of more that we find Mm -hmm. in the world of entrepreneurship. What are you doing to get closer to your solvable problem? For your life, for your family's life. I know you, you know, you got a wife and three kids. How mm-hmm. does this fit in with the solvable problem for your life? How are you using real estate in this particular business to help you get closer to those things?
1: That's a great question, and I, I think the trap that we fall into as entrepreneurs, um, I've definitely been guilty of this, uh, is you will build your business, and then you will build your lifestyle around that business. And what I chose intentionally to do, this being the second business that we had started. Um, and we really try to focus on that with our first business too, is we have our lifestyle and then we built the business around that. And so there is no instance where I work more than a 40 hour week. Like I go home at five, I go home for lunches a lot of days. I try and take my one of my, my oldest son out for lunch once a week. Like there's things that we're um, doing. You just have to have clear definitions of what you will and won't do. And I am not at all willing to work massive hours to bring in a paycheck. I'm just not, I would rather be poor and be rich in a relationship with my family and have a good marriage and a healthy parent, um, son, daughter relationships. Um, and so we just, that was the biggest thing that we did is we set clear parameters and then it becomes, well, how much can I do in 40 hours a week? And then it gets really fun because you can get efficient and you can train and you can model um, and you can grow. And then it's, and then you can hire consulting companies. It's like, well, mm-hmm. Hey, how do we increase? And One of the things that has attracted, I think a lot of the people to work for our company is when they, when they onboard, I say, Hey, you work eight 30 to five and you turn it off. It does not go home with you. Like, if you want to work, I'm not going to stop you. I will never, ever ask you to work full-time or I'm, excuse me. I'll never ask you to work overtime. So they know their nights, their weekends, that's, they're done. Like, I can't tell you how many realtors and title reps and stuff. I see emailing us at like nine 30 a night. And I'm like, that sucks. Like. That really sucks.
0: Yeah, it really does. Um, and let me get your opinion on this. Entrepreneurship is often sold as, you know, this term financial freedom is like when I make a, it's sold to us as like when you make a certain amount of money, now you don't have to work anymore. Mm-hmm. You can just stop working. And I like what you said about I actually find a fun game inside of the game, you know, it's like you have this, this sense of certainty in your life and your business. And now it becomes this, this game. And one of the things that I say around my solvable problem is like, I want to be able to play business as a sport, Mm. which means I like showing up and solving problems. Like I didn't, (laughs) I enjoy this game. It's fun. The, the problem is when you, you lose sight of what really matters. It's like, well, we're playing this game because it's fun, but then I also take it home and obsess with it and it hurts other areas of my life. Well, then I don't, then I'm not willing to make that trade off.
1: Yeah. hundred um, percent.
0: But oftentimes real estate and entrepreneurship is, is sold as, well, eventually you're just going to get to this point where you, you, you sit in the owner's box and you don't do anything all day. And all you do is sit around and drink, you know, my ties on the beach or whatever. And I mean, maybe that is the solvable problem for some people, but for a lot of us entrepreneurs, that's not really what the goal is. The goal is to have an excellent relationship with the things that really matter in our life. Most of the time, I think of family and friends when I think of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want to be able to play business as a sport. I don't want to have to worry about, well, if I lose this game, am I going to lose overall? Um, mm-hmm. so I love that you talked about, you know, I, you look at your business as a way to improve. It's a tool that you use to get better every day as a leader, as an operator. Um, and, and it also makes you a good, uh, father and husband, I would imagine as well.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're totally right. Like one of the risks that comes with us as entrepreneurs is we want that financial freedom. You only get to that point once you're doing enough deals and you can only, we, we start out as entrepreneurs wanting to trade our time for money. So we, we really, really do everything we can to figure out how we can make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time, getting the biggest profit margins for, uh, in our industry is really well known for big profit margins. And then you get to this point, which is why are you hire consulting companies and coaches? It's okay. Well, now I have the money. How do I get my time back? And you just, you're continually going through that evolution and you're a hundred percent right that it's, it's a sport. Like, I come into the office every day pumped to come in here, man. Like, it's when I have a three day weekend, like a long weekend, I'm itching to go back in the office because it's so much fun. And don't get me wrong, like, I love the time I have with my family, but we've also created such an incredible culture here that, like, I love the time I have here. And I know that the six employees we have, I'm massively impacting what their future is gonna look like and that drives me like that is so fun and I'm showing these people how you can do business in such a good way and build these relationships and have fun doing it and it's profitable and it's it's addicting. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I really really enjoy it, but you can't it's like a football team like you couldn't go to the uh, what do they even call it the, the Super Bowl? you can't even go to the Super Bowl with like a five-man team like you in order to get that freedom where the guy in the owner's box or the coach, you have to build out your entire team and you go through all the crap it takes to do that. But once you've got that team in place, like you either do it as a solopreneur or you grow big. Like it's not, in my opinion, there's no like medium. You grow it to where it's a business you can sell. Not that you need to, but it's a business that in my definition of business, you can go on two week vacation, nothing stops. People know what their roles are. Everything happens. Whether you want to sell a business or not, you can only get it to that point where all the roles are hired. Everyone knows their jobs. There's measurables. Um, and that's just the best place to be. Like you as a leader will always be the bottleneck unless you step out and let everybody do stuff. So.
0: Well, and it's back to the barbell, right? Like the idea is it's hard to step out of a business is that that's not ultra reliable. Yeah. You know, if you haven't gotten your business to be extremely, extremely reliable, where you could take a two week vacation, um, then you're not there yet, right? You got to keep building that reliability. And until you do that, stop chasing upside because it's just distracting you from actually building reliability. The reliability is what actually exposes you to additional upside people. I I got that backwards. I'm sure a lot of people uh, do as well. Um, And it's so funny to hear you say all that because I went to Hawaii for three weeks in November and I was like, this sucks. Like, (laughs) Like I loved Hawaii. We had a blast, but I was like, I told everybody that I was going to be taking three weeks off and the business ran, everyone did what they needed to do. But I was like, I want to get back on the, on the phones. Like I like interacting with my team. I like doing this yeah. business. So that was the first kind of aha moment to entrepreneurship for me is not just walking away and doing nothing. It's, I still like to be engaged. I really enjoy that sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, building that kind of business is, is a little different than what's sold to you, uh, you know, in Robert Kiyosaki books and on bigger pockets, you know, it's like, it's oh, just a, it's a little different than that. Do you
1: know, as, I would, if I had to take a wild guess at the amount of business owners, I know that work 60 to 80 hours a week, it's like probably 90% of them. I mean, they're, and their phones are always on, they're working at home. Like it's, they don't take vacations and it's, yeah, it's, uh, Not as easy as what they sell you, but if you set those clear, clear lines in the sand of what you will and won't do, then it's like free reign. You know what hours you can play in, you know what you can do, and it's just, it's gravy.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Chad, so how can people get in touch with you and find out more about, you know, what you're doing in Idaho, what you're doing in, uh, with Easy Home Buyer, um, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about you?
1: Yeah. Uh, I am like the biggest idiot when it comes to tech. I have a Facebook, uh, my business, I pretty sure has an Instagram. We have a face, just Google us the easy home buyer. If you want my email address, it's Chad at the easy Um, that'll be like the best way to get hold of me. So. Perfect.
0: Well, I'll put all that stuff in the, uh, the show notes here. So you guys can get in touch with Chad. If you, uh, want to learn how he's building his business off of relationships. Um, he's the guy to go to. He's, he's been, extremely kind and sharing uh, with me in the past. And so thank you, Chad, for coming on. I really appreciate hearing your story and how, like I said, how you're using these tools to actually help you get closer to, to what you want in life. It's really inspiring. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I'll see you next month in Florida, man. Look forward to it.
0: Absolutely. Clearwater. We were just talking. It's like, it's nice to go from Tampa to actually being on the beach in Clearwater. So I'm excited. I know. About <laughs> that. Yeah. You're not on a
1: <laughs> bay. You're actually in the beach. That's pretty cool. It's yeah, like a 20 minute sure. drive.
0: <laughs> cool, man. All right. Well, thank you, Chad. Um, Thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks.